Well, good morning. Once again, welcome this morning to Paradise Valley Christian Church. If you have children with you and you'd like to keep your children with you, you're free to do that. However, if you'd like for your children to go downstairs, uh, down these, this hallway and down the steps to the kids' zone, uh, there will be a children's church time that will take place downstairs as well. We want to welcome all those online joining us this morning. Thanks for taking the time to be together as the body of Christ and a lot, of, a lot of good things going on at PV, a lot of things we're still working on with everything that's going on in our world and trying to tweak and get better at, and so thank you for being patient with us and working together as the body of Christ as we work together to further the kingdom of God. And we've been looking at this sermon series on the mission of the church, the mission statement that we have, uh, working together and uh, even this past week, it was fun uh, to see God working through different scenarios. We were able to, to host a, a funeral for a family that needed a place, and we were able to love on them and encourage them and plant seeds and just be available to them. There were also several people that came in throughout the week needing financial help that we were able to help out, as well as people that came and were able to utilize our food pantry. And so thank you for those who have been a part of that and been able to donate towards those things. And as the body of Christ, we're able to continue to share the love of, of God. And we think about that love that we want to share. And we think about, well, you know, do we have a, a mission? Or, and are we on that mission as the body of Christ? And so once again, going through our mission statement, I want to read again what we have written. It says, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation to lovingly seek, reconcile, restore, and equip disciples so that they can make a difference in their world through ministry. And we've discussed this idea of seeking the lost, realizing that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, that we need to pray for more workers to go into the harvest field. We talked about the, the idea last week of we are ambassadors. We speak on behalf of our sovereign God and only speak what he has to share with us. For us to share with the world as ambassadors of reconciliation, helping people be reconciled in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a church, we have a responsibility to each other as the body of Christ. That we need to care for one another. That we, as part of our mission statement, are to help restore each other in our faith. And so today's title of the message is Restore Those Who Have Sinned. And of course, we all have sinned. And are we willing to restore one another? Will you pray with me as we begin? God, this morning, we are humble to gather in your presence. And may you be the one that speaks boldly through your word. And may I be just a, a tool in your hands to further your kingdom. God, may we see you. May we hear you. May we seek you this morning. And to the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, as the crew of the whaling boat begins reeling in the whale, they had just harpooned, they, they spotted a few shark fins in the water. And they know that if they don't quickly hoist their catch in, that the, the water is going to be inundated with sharks. And soon enough, dozens of sharks were frothing in the water, and with their eyes rolled back, they begin, they begin taking bites out of this whale in the water and the whaling crew desperately tries to to save their catch and they begin beating the sharks off with paddles and hooking rods 
And although they are able to injure several sharks, they still lost a third of the whale. The ironic thing was during this feeding frenzy, the sharks started attacking the other injured sharks. And unfortunately, this savage behavior happens in the church as well. It's been said the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. Instead of trying to help and provide spiritual first aid to a fallen brother or sister, many Christians attack them. And yet we are called as the body of Christ to restore one another. And I want us to turn over to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And this is where we get part of our mission statement of being willing to restore one another. Follow along as it begins. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself. Or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in the same way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. And this passage that we're looking at this morning begins with this word brothers, or in some translations, brethren, meaning he's speaking to the body of Christ. He's speaking to the church. And if you think about our own individual bodies, they're kind of amazing, aren't they? How they work together and all the different parts. It's also pretty interesting how when one part of the body is suffering, a lot of the rest of our body suffers as well. When we have aches and pains, when it's hard to get up out of bed or sometimes for me off the gr- floor if I've sat on the floor for a sh- long period of time. Even this couple weeks ago, I, got a, I was changing up my hot water heater and I slipped my thumb on a piece of metal. And man, it, at the moment it didn't hurt that bad. But over the, the last week or two that it's been healing, that one little thumb slice has caused the rest of my body to be like, oh, that hurts, or I can't quite do that as well as I once did. It it affects our whole body, and the church is the exact same way. It's no different. Scripture tells us that each individual that has surrendered their life over to Jesus is part of the body of Christ. And since that's true, when, when someone is injured, one of our members of the body, that affects the whole body, or at least it should. And my hope today is that we realize as a church that part of our mission is to restore fellow Christians. We have a responsibility to each other to restore the body of Christ. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to write down, restore one another gently. And it comes right from verse 1 of chapter 6 of Galatians, where again it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. The Greek word for sin in the NIV that I just read, or in other translations, the word that's used there is trespass, is the word parapatoma. And that has the basic idea of a stumbling or a falling. The picture is of a believer who stumbles or makes a false step in his walk 
or her walk with the Lord. It's the idea of going outside, stepping outside of the boundaries that God has put into place. And many times we as Christians, we don't wake up in the morning thinking, well, I think I'm going to do accomplish this sin, and I'm going to work on this sin, and I, I think I'll dabble in a little bit of that sin. No, that's not usually how it works for us as Christians. We wake up in the morning, desire to live faithfully for God, and oftentimes sin takes place in our lives because we don't guard against it. Or maybe we begin to flirt with a temptation that we think we can handle on our own, that we can withstand, and we get tripped up and stumble and fall and so what does Paul call us to when a fellow Christian is caught in sin? We must lift them up. We must be willing to reach down and, and help them to restore them in their faith. And as Christian brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility of restoration to each other. Listen again to the instructions of Paul. It says, brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. I remember I was around five years old and I was riding my bike outside of our duplex. And outside there was a really steep hill that went in front of our house. And on that steep hill we get going too fast of course. And so I was going too fast and all of a sudden I noticed there's a lady coming up the sidewalk. And I'm going to run right into her if I don't do something. And so I took my handlebars and I wrenched him to the left and I remember slamming on my brakes and I my whole body went down I you know I fell and I hit my head on the cement and it was painful there's little five-year-old Charles in the hospital and my parents they didn't write me off because I stumbled and fell they didn't say oh man no we're done that's you're you're too far gone no they lifted me up and they took me to the hospital where they monitored me overnight for a concussion. And sadly, though, the, the story didn't end there. About a week later, it was a Sunday morning. We're getting ready for church. We're waiting. It's nice outside. So my brother and sister and I are outside, and we're running, of course, down this steep hill again. And I didn't notice. I didn't pay attention. I believe, if I remember this correctly, there was a, like a shutoff valve that just was up in the cement just enough that I caught my foot on it once again stumbling and falling tripping going down and I hit my head in the exact same spot and yet once again my parents didn't say okay that's too many times twice that's you're done uh, we're we're finished with you you can't stay upright so obviously you must be defective or something you know and so no they didn't do that they they wanted to restore me they wanted me to be restored and to remain part of their family. They wanted me to be taken care of. And there are times in our lives where it seems like we keep making the same mistakes. We keep messing up. We fall into sin. We get tripped up over and over. And Satan attacks us in the same areas of our lives that he always attacks us. And I pray this morning that each and every one of you, that each and every one of you know that the body of Christ, the church, is here to help restore you. And do we do it perfectly all the time? No. But we have a responsibility to one another to restore the one that's tripped. And the Greek word is katartizin, which means to, to set a broken bone or to remove a tumor or to re repair a piece, to repair and piece together what is broken. 
And all three of these describe, well, the process of restoring one who has been overtaken by sin and has fallen in their faith. James 5, 19 through 20 speaks about this concept of someone falling away. It says, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James 5, 19 and 20. You see, we have a responsibility to one another to to help each other remain faithful in our walk with Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we're saving, we're help saving one another from eternal death, from spending eternity separated from God and not only that but our we're encouraging one another and we're helping one another from continuing in that sin it says that it covers over a multitude of sin and part of our mission as a church is to help restore each other back to faith and if you notice here it says that we are to do that gently and I'm not always very good at that to be honest with you in fact just the other day we were heading back from the park, and Brady, my nine-year-old, and Bria, my eight-year-old, thought they had to race one another on their bikes back to the house, and I'm walking with Brooks, and, and as I'm walking, I hear, ah, screaming like someone was getting their leg chopped off type of thing, and Brady was down on the ground, and what had happened is he was pedaling his bike so fast that to try to beat Bria home that his fit feet slipped off the pedals, and his whole balance went crazy, and he went down and hit his elbow and his hand and his knee on the the gravel of the cement road and now the rest of the story is how what not to do as a dad okay (laughs) what not to do as a dad because instead of restoring Brady gently which I did desire to restore him but instead of gently I I kind of got frustrated because I thought you know I said to him if you guys weren't always having to race everywhere all the time, this wouldn't have happened in the first place. You would be just fine right now if you just leisurely rode your bike home. But the Greek word for gently comes from the word pros, which carries with it the definition of meekness, which is the idea of demonstrating power without undue harshness. See, in that moment, I didn't do a very good job of restoring Brady gently in fact i probably shared a little undue harshness and i should have had compassion on brady knowing that there have been many 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 times in my life where i've gotten ahead of myself and maybe been figuratively pedaling my bicycle too fast to the point where i've messed things up and someone's gently come alongside me and helped restore me See, we cannot be critical and judgmental as we see biblical restoration. If we're going to biblically restore someone, then we have to go about it the right way. And the danger is clear as we look at this verse, that each one looking to yourself, lest you be tempted. If we are critical and worldly in our efforts to restore, we ourselves are going to end up stumbling. And this is a gentle but forceful reminder that even spiritual believers can stumble and fall. 
We are to possess the mind of Christ in all that we do. And John 3 verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, God's plan all along is, is not to make people feel bad about themselves, but to bring them back into relationship. And do we have that same heart for the lost and for one another within the church? Are we willing to help restore one another in the faith? And if we are, part of that res- restoration involves verse 2, where we have to bear one another's burdens. We have to come alongside someone. If you look at verse 2, it says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. There's a story that's been around on the internet since about 2000. It's the story called the story of Kyle. And one day when I was a freshman in high school, I saw a kid from my class walking home from school. His name was Kyle. It looked like he was carrying all of his books, and I thought to myself, Who takes all of their books home on a Friday? Man, that kid must be a nerd. Because I, you know, I I had quite the weekend planned. I had a party to go to. I had a football game with my friends to play the next afternoon. I I shrugged my shoulders just thinking, man, this guy, guy, I don't know what he's thinking. But as I was walking, I saw a bunch of kids running toward him. And they ran at him, knocking all his books out of his arms, tripping him so he landed in the dirt. His glasses went flying, and I saw them land in the grass about 10 feet from him. He looked up, and I saw this terrible sadness in his eyes. My heart went out to him, so I jogged over to him as he was crawling around looking for his glasses, and I saw a tear in his eye. As I handed him his glasses, I said, those guys are just jerks. They, they should really get lives. He looked at me and said, thank you. There was a big smile on his face, and it was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude. I helped him up and picked up his books for him and asked him where he lived, and as it turned out, he lived close by. And I asked him, well, why haven't I really seen you before now? And he said that he had gone to a private school before then. Well, we talked all the way home, and I carried some of his books. He turned out to be a pretty cool kid. I asked him if he wanted to play a little football with my friends the next day. He said yes, and we hung out all weekend, and the more I got to know Kyle, the more I liked him, and my friends thought the same of him. Over the next four years, Kyle and I became best friends. Kyle was valedictorian of our class, and I teased him all the time about being a nerd. He had to prepare a speech for graduation, and on graduation day, I saw Kyle. He looked great. He was one of those guys that really found himself during high school. He filled out and actually looked good in glasses. He had more dates than I had, and all the girls loved him. Boy, sometimes I was jealous, and today was one of those days. And as he started his speech, he cleared his throat and began, Graduation is a time to thank those who helped you make it through those tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a a coach, but most of all, your friends. I'm here to tell all of you that being a friend to someone is the best gift you can give them. I'm going to tell you a story. 
I just looked at my friend with disbelief as he told the story of the first day we met. He had planned to kill himself over that weekend. He talked of how he had cleaned out his locker of all his books so his mom wouldn't have to do it later and was carrying his stuff home. And he looked hard at me and gave me a little smile. Thankfully, I was saved. My friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. I heard the gas go through the crowd as this handsome, popular boy told us all about his weakest moment. See, never underestimate the power of your actions. You see, Kyle's friend not only carried his books, but he also carried his burdens. Because his friend was willing to come alongside him and truly care about him, his life was changed forever. And we have a responsibility to care about our fellow brothers and sisters, even if they've fallen short or stumbled along the way. And one of the first, maybe most, most powerful, most effective ways that we can help carry each other's burdens is through prayer. There's a story of a, a man that was bold in his faith to the point where he ended up in jail. And his, his friends spent time earnestly praying for this friend to the point where he miraculously escapes prison. And it's a true story, and I know it's true because it's found in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, a story that might be familiar to many of you. Chapter 12 of Acts, starting in verse 1, says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter. Also, this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for, to God for him. The church was bearing Peter's burdens through prayer. And in verse 6, it says, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it opened for them by itself. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. 
See, if we're going to begin to help carry the load, to share in one another's burdens, it begins by spending time in prayer for one another. And how many times have we prayed for someone that maybe we've criticized because of the sin that they've been involved in? You see, I believe that if we spend time praying for one another, not only does it give them the strength to withstand the temptations that they've been facing, but it begins to align our attitudes upright with God's attitude. And so many times we, we fall short of showing compassion to one another in the church. And recently I heard about an interesting compassion test done at a seminary, and the students had to write a report about compassion and the Good Samaritan. And the morning the report was due, the teacher had a friend dress up like a person who had been beaten and robbed. He had ripped clothing, fake blood, he, he had it all. He looked like the real deal. And the teacher had the victim lie near the pathway where most of the students would walk to class. Surprisingly, all of these future pastors and missionaries walked past this person and offered no help. Obviously, there's a big difference between knowing what a Christian should do and actually doing it. And I think that if we're truly going to bear one another's burdens, it begins with prayer and then it moves to care. To really care. Do we really truly care to the point that we're willing to invest in the lives of the people in this congregation? Are we willing to invest in the lives of the people outside of this congregation? And how many times do we ask the question, well, how are you? But we really don't care to hear the answer. Or we're hoping they just say, good, and we move on to the next person. And James 2, 14 through 17 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but doesn't, does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Do we truly care about one another to the point where if someone needs their leaves raked, we go help them rake their leaves? If someone's struggling financially, we're willing to help them out with their finances. If someone is struggling in their marriage, are we willing to be a, a shoulder to cry on? Are we willing to take the time to, to be an ear that's listening? In the midst of it all, if we're going to really carry each other's burdens, if we're really going to gently restore someone, it's going to require us to remain humble through it all. And that's what, is, if you look at these verses, in verses 3 through 5, it, it speaks about this idea. Again, Galatians 6, 3 through 5, it's, it's the last thing I would encourage you to write down is remain humble. If we're to restore one another in our faith, we have to be like Jesus, and he would remain humble. Again, verse 3 says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
He deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. My wife and I have joked at times where we kind of send our kids mixed messages at times because we tell our kids to love one another. You guys need to be each other's best friends. You got to care about one another, be courteous and kind, give each other the better, you know, the bigger slice of pie or the better seat in the van. And then there's also times where we tell our kids to worry about yourself. I thought we are supposed to care about the other person. Well, of course, in the context of when we share these instructions, that makes a difference. And when we say worry about yourself, it usually means stop comparing yourself to your siblings. And I wonder how many times God's looking down on us as brothers and sisters in, in Christ, and he's saying, stop comparing yourself to each other, to your siblings, We tell our kids, don't worry about what they're getting and maybe what you're not getting or what they're doing and what you aren't doing. Worry about yourself, meaning stop comparing yourself to each other. And Paul tells us that we are to let each one examine his own work. And then that person will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to someone else. And once again, this simply means that we are to examine the work God has given us to do and understand that we aren't supposed to be comparing ourselves to others. You see, it's not a competition. We're not against our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We're in this together. We're on the same team. We're a part of the same body. And we have a responsibility to restore one another. And it's when we humble ourselves and truly care about where our brothers and sisters in Christ are spiritually that we begin to fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. And he continues on in verse 35 where he reminds us that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how we're going to attract people to the body of Christ. It's not going to be through fancy gimmicks or programs or buildings. It's through the love of the body of Christ that we actually care about one another. Do we love each other to the point where we're willing to humbly help restore each other in the faith? Wakefield tells the story of the famous inventor Samuel Morris, who was once asked if he ever encountered situations where he didn't know what to do. And Morris responded, more than once, and whenever I could not see my way clearly, I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. And Morse received many honors from his invention of the telegraph and Morse code, but felt undeserving. And this is what he said, I have made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and he was pleased to reveal it to me. And I wonder, as we close this morning, if we might be so humble 
as to say, I am willing to help restore a fallen believer in their faith and to carry another's burdens, not because I am superior to other Christians, but solely because God has called me to that responsibility. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, and you feel like you've fallen away, maybe that you, you don't feel like you have the hope that you once, once had, I pray that each and every one of us this morning knows that God is standing, he's waiting, and he's looking down the road, and, he, and he's, he's hoping to see us coming in the distance. He wants to run out like the father to the prodigal son and say, welcome home. You see, all of us have sin. There's none of us that are perfect. In fact, in 1 John, the high school class on Wednesday nights, junior high and high school class is going through 1 John. And the, one of the memory verses, I believe, was 1 John 1, 8, 9. It says, or it was the memory verse, I think, was close to this verse. But it, this verse says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to help restore one another in our walk with him. And maybe this morning you've never had a walk with the one true God. And you need to... Surrender yourself. You need to be reconciled. Back, come back into a relationship with him. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you have a decision to make, if you need to accept God's grace this morning, will you come as we stand this morning?